This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. I'm joined in the studio by my next guest, Brett Shee, is the Artistic Director of the Melbourne Theatre Company. The company launched their 29th season, well, it must be almost a couple of months ago now. It's but been a while. Kind of, uh, Brett was going to come onto the show and then I had to cancel the interview because I had to fly into state and kind of like, so it sometimes takes a while to pin these things down, but it's lovely to have you with us. It's good to be here, Richard. So before we talk about the 29th season, 2019 season in detail. I yes. wanted to throw a, a, a quick question at you. Sure. Um, MTC is part of the major performing arts group. Correct. Kind of, uh, 28 companies yes. uh, who are funded, uh, co-funded by state and federal government. Yes. MTC gets the lowest percentage of government funding of all of those 28 companies. Correct. So how do you, what are your feelings about the, the current investigation being undertaken, steered by the Australia Council for the Arts, into strengthening the major performing arts framework? Yeah, look, look I think it's a really important thing to happen. Um, I think it's time I do think there is a separate issue for theatre, period. And um, look, look, I'm, I'm so... I've been around so long. I remember in the 1980s when I was at Sydney Theatre Company and I remembered the relationship between theatre companies and the Australia Council and there was a time then when the, the uh, theatre companies, uh, there was a demand by the Australian Council that they do a quota of new Australian work. And we all complied, and what that did for the theatre writing scene in Australia was phenomenal. Um, no such quota was ever given to the orchestras, to the dance companies, or to the opera companies, um, which I thought at the time was unfair. Uh, but I guess I understood because you know theatre is a more immediate art form. Uh, but then, what what the um, what are sometimes called the heritage arts companies, orchestras, opera, uh, ballet, dance. What what they did was they made a very very good case for having a minimum number of players or performers in their companies to be able to do the world repertoire. And theatre never fought that, fought, fought that fight. And so what it meant was, you know, for any symphony orchestra, there were going to be a certain number of people, uh, come what may. So what's happened is across the country, the, the average cast size of theatre companies has crashed and burned since the 1980s. I mean, I think our, our average cast size at the moment is sitting on about six or seven. Um, Sydney Theatre Companies is probably about maybe eight, eight or eight or nine, and no other theatre company is better off than that. And, and look, you know, I don't want to dwell on this, but, but a perfect example is, you know, Bill Shakespeare in 1993 did Romeo and Juliet uh, with 19 performers. They came to Melbourne two years ago, 10 performers. Sydney Theatre Company, when I was there, in 1989, we had 22 people on stage for Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Kip Williams did a production two years ago, 10 people on stage. Now, I ask, when, when will we get there's a crisis? When we've got six people doing Romeo and Juliet, when we've got three people doing Romeo and Juliet. And look, it's not just about Shakespeare, it's about Goethe, it's about uh, so many of the French writers. Um, it's, it's really much of, the, much of the canon and our historical canon. Uh, that's the situation we're facing, let alone young writers today who are terrified of writing a play that has more than, you know, four or five people in the cast. So, so I think that, that's the next fight to be fought. I think theatre has to get together and we have to say um, nationally that we're coming of the poor cousin we were kicked to the curb in the 80s when all of the other art forms um, were given kind of you know 
pretty, pretty much a guarantee of being flush for the decades to come. Um, so that's where I'm sitting on all of yeah. this. Yeah. Well, it, it, for me, it's a fascinating uh, conversation to have because I've known for many years that, yeah, theatre is the poor cousin in the, uh, amongst the MPA companies. Yes. The flip side of that is the independent art sector and the small to medium sector Absolutely. who are saying... From their perspective, you have this kind of guaranteed funding which allows you to plan ambitiously for years in advance, whereas the smaller companies are like, we're, we're, we're kind of the most they will get is four year funding. Yeah, and um, that is a massive privilege that, that we, the, the you know, state theatre companies still have. And I'm really conscious of that. And, and really, you know, that was part of the inspiration initially um, of programs for Melbourne Theatre Company like Neon, um, other companies as well. Of course, Malthouse had Helium. And so, what we've all tried to do is, is still work with the small to medium sector to actually kind of bridge that disparity between um, how privileged those two sectors are, the, the main stage and the uh, small to medium sectors. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, one of the works to segue to the 2019 season, uh, one of the works in uh, that season had its origins in a small theatre production in Sydney uh, which got critically acclaimed. You've grabbed the director, bringing him down to Melbourne to make a different version of the same play. Exactly, yeah. Look, look a view from the bridge, which I did see at the old Fitz. I'm not sure whether the old Fitz sits like seats 55 or 60 people. Very, very small venue. Um, I thought it was an astonishing production and a terrific vision uh, by the director, Ian Sinclair. Um, we actually did the numbers on bringing that full production down here and doing it in a very small space. You know, maybe the Lawler, even the Fairfax in the Arts Centre was a bit big, but the numbers just didn't add up for, for what return we would get in audiences and box office. So we couldn't do that. So then we, we had a long conversation with Ian about whether... Um, um, he had a new vision uh, for the show, scaled specifically for the Sumner Auditorium for Melbourne Theatre Company, um, with with you know a, a kind of you know new creative team, new cast, etc. So that's what we've gone with. Uh, so it's a really unusual thing. It would have been great to have been able to bring the Red Line production down here. I love that company. The work they do at the Olfitz is just awesome. Um, but look, we couldn't make that work. So at least we've got you know the director from that production doing a new view from the bridge for us and you know as one of the, the three I think greatest Arthur Miller plays uh, I think it'll be a treat. Now uh, from I guess from that scale of work from something that started out small and, and is being expanded for the stage you're almost in some ways reversing that process with uh, a stage adaptation of Shakespeare in Love which was a huge lavish kind of big budget Hollywood film which presumably has to be to a degree scaled down for a stage production. Yeah and look, look you know most of the work's been done for us I'm happy to say um, a stage version Declan Donnellan um, did do a version uh, of this this version we're doing which is an adaptation by Lee Hall of the Stoppard screenplay and it was done in the West End oh, maybe two and a half years ago uh, I got to see it uh, I fell in love with it you know um, astonishing reviews you know 19 five star reviews I think in London on the West End uh, but look the, the wonderful thing was it hadn't been done since and Disney Theatricals who own the property um, they, they kind of looked around the world and one Australian director who's, who's been kind of, you know, uh, forging ahead in leaps and bounds in, in Britain especially, uh, but on the international stage, has been Simon Phillips. So uh, Disney Theatricals went straight to Simon and said, we want you to do 
what they hope will be the international production of Shakespeare in Love. Um, I start somewhere and then it tours. Um, it goes to, first of all, Southeast Asia. Um, in an ideal world, we'll make it to Broadway, etc. And Simon brought that property to us. So um, Simon said to me, um, can I come and talk to you about something? And he said, I would love Melbourne Theatre Company to be the initiating uh, production house for this and there's a possibility of future life. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but happily, the hard work had been done already um, in the West End uh, and Lee Hall had already done the adaptation. Yeah. Well, and this, it's uh, interesting to see this particular work programmed, I, ge- I guess, because uh, over the last few years, uh, while you've been uh, uh, holding the reins at the MTC, we've seen this kind of notion of collaboration between MTC and commercial producers, for example, yes. to stage work uh, with North by Northwest, uh, which has gone on to have a life yes. of its own. Uh, uh, we've seen Curious the- Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Yep. Uh, we've seen Once, the, yeah. the musical, for God, example. you have a good memory. So, yeah, so yes. this notion of kind of seeing how you can grow the, the company's work, offer up a popular repertoire, yes. which nonetheless can can then bring money into the MTC coffers, presumably to then help commission new work, support new writing and so forth. That is so true, Richard, and, and, and you know, that, that's the raison d'etre for it, absolutely. Um, and it's been a thrilling thing to be able to do. And, look, look, and what often happens is um, there are works which come onto the, you know, into the international mix which, which are a little more challenging or are, you know, boutique or are less well-known to Australian audiences. And for a commercial producer to take all the risk on that um, just from scratch can be quite tricky. Of course, if it's a Lion King, of course, if it's Mary Poppins, you know, they don't need us at all. Harry Potter, how I wish they'd needed us, (laughs) Um, but they certainly don't. Um, However, for these other works, which are not household names, um, that's when MTC can certainly play a part and it's a relationship we've been developing with, with several of the commercial producers around Australia and certainly for, you know, um, 2020, 2021 and 2022, we have a lot of works on the table. We're discussing that kind of development of. Great. Now, in terms of some of the, the other works that are in the, the 2019 season, yeah. um, I'm particularly intrigued by a couple of them. Uh, there's a production of uh, Storm Boy coming yep. up, uh, which uh, Sam Strong is directing, Correct. I believe. And so I'm hoping then that we will see something similar to the success, uh, the production of Jasper Jones that Sam did. It kind of like it's been done by one company. It's maybe not quite there yet, kind of. And then you get to come in, do a new production, tweak, fine tune a little bit and kind of bang, suddenly there's a huge success. Yeah, look, look um, Tom Holloway's um, adaptation um, uh, of Storm Boy is, is, is wonderful. Tom's all, separately from this, another one of our commissioned writers at the moment, uh, working on a new play. And, and look, you know, I think you know how much I, I, I love and admire Sam. I mean, he was associate director at MTC for, for my first three years there. Um, he's gone on to be artistic director of Queensland Theatre. And um, my belief is Sam is, is, you know, one of the most astonishing interpreters of Australian work um, that we have. I thought Jasper Jones was magnificent. Um, it, it was such a beautiful, extraordinary production. And I think Sam will bring exactly the same magic uh, to Stormboy. Uh, something which, which you know, um, people aren't aware of, we are working with Dead Puppet Society. Um, who are currently over in kind of London at the kind of... Uh at one of the major museums or something, doing a, their Darwin work. Yeah, an, an awesome work, um, which is, has been incredibly well-received. So, so, look, you know, 
at one level, I think we're going to have something like 33 um, puppets, um, all kinds of animals, including pelicans, of course, the three key pelicans, um, and of course, you know, Mr. Percival, uh, the main main pelican character. But but you know, really, in terms of the sophistication of their work, we should be thinking in terms of of War Horse and Lion King. I mean that this will be a ravishingly beautiful production with 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 truly astonishing puppeteering, um, as as good as it gets really anywhere in the world, which is why dead puppets are now in such international demand. So I think Storm Boy, yeah, will, will be will be a gorgeous work, and I can't wait to see it. I'm also really intrigued to see uh, and the the new work by Finnegan Crookmeyer, who's kind of a fascinating playwright, so in demand internationally, yeah. and writes uh, for children and families. Absolutely, uh, and I think it's the case um, that he is um, our most produced in the world writer period um for, for, for the stage which is which is a pretty pretty amazing uh, achievement it the, the work is called a violent outburst that drew me to you and um though, though it does have the word violent in the title um it, it really is a wonderful family and and you know um coming of age young person show about a a fairly angry young teenage man and how he kind of you know finds his place in the world and is grappling grappling with all of the things Things that you know, young men grapple with in this day and age, um, and yeah, look, look, it's it's um, been selling incredibly well. Finnegan's a, a, an artist we love working with, and um, I think it will will be beautiful also. And starring one of the young actors who was fantastic in Jasper Jones, Harry Singh. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Harry just stole people's hearts in Jasper Jones. Um, that cricket scene was yeah. was awesome. Yeah. yeah, it made me care about cricket, and I can't <laughs> stand the game. So <laughs> um, now, as well as staging work, MTC yeah. is also busy at work behind the scenes. You've got things like the the Women in Theatre program, which uh, just a, a quick plug to mention that applications for the technical design element of the Women in Theatre program open next month. So jump online to mtc.com.au for more details about that. Yes. You've also uh, got the Next Stage program, Correct. which is kind of commissioning and developing new work. And the first play to come out of the Next Stage program is being presented in 2019. That's Golden Shield. That's Tell right. us about this one. Oh, it's a beautiful work. And surely Felicia King is the playwright. Um, she's based in, in New York at the moment. She's doing an MFA in dramaturgy uh, in New York. Uh, she was just out here last week working with us on a new draft of the play. It's, it's a terrific work. It's, it's a truly global uh, piece, really a legal thriller and a love story. And it, um, it, it fictionalises a situation where, uh, in the early 2000s, an American tech company uh, essentially helped China build the Great Firewall of China um, and developed uh, internet censorship algorithms that enabled the Chinese government to not only um, censor work, but also to be able to find out who on the internet uh, was being critical of the government. And it did lead to... Um, arrests, harassment, etc. So there are these fantastic kind of, you know, in very important, um, significant geopolitical issues in there. Um, there are issues of privacy in there, ethical issues massively about when, you know, um, corporations in Western countries uh, might assist governments in non-Western countries and indeed governments that are totalitarian governments in non-Western countries. And um, 
Woven into all of that is, is this legal case around this computer company helping China build the great firewall of China, but also a love story woven through it as well. I can't think of a, a kind of more all-encompassing contemporary uh, work, a work which is as relevant and, and speaks to us at the moment as any other, uh, especially apropos Australia's relationship with China at the moment, um, apropos privacy laws, the internet, and so on. So, um, And also, you know, an America where... Um, as, as you know, many of us believe, um, ethics um, does not play a very large part, certainly in, in government or um, political discourse there. Yeah. So we've spoken quite a bit about the Australian work that's in t- the 2019 season yes. at Melbourne Theatre Company. Uh, let's touch on uh, quickly some of the international works that are programmed as well, because one of the things a company like MTC can do is go there's a fascinating play being staged in London or New York, let's nab it. Yeah, and, and look, um, first up, you know, I would just love to say I'm thrilled that of the 12 works next year, one of which is is the family show um, and, and which will be in the Lawler of Island Outburst, but of the 12 works, six of them are by Australian writers. Um, that's the first time I think we've had that number of Australian writers in a season, uh, which I'm thrilled with. The international work is... is, is really interesting to me. Um, Shakespeare in Love, of course, is, is first cab off the rank um, in terms of our discussion. Heisenberg is another very interesting work. Simon Stevens, who wrote uh, Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, who did the, the stage adaptation, has written a play called Heisenberg. Uh, and this is a work about a youngish woman and an older man and uh, the relationship that develops between them. One's... one's um, from the United Kingdom, the other ones, the woman is from America, and really the oh god look I think it's about I think it's about um, loneliness, I think it's about the need to connect, I think it's about um, the journey anyone goes on, our need or want for other people to come on journeys with us uh, as she encourages him to help her scour the world to find her lost son. Uh, a beautiful work there, starring Cat Stewart, um, who, you know, I think is irresistible on stage, and the wonderful Peter Cowitz, um, who some people might remember from our production of The Weir, but also has done astonishing work in Sydney. I think he was starred in The Floating World, won the Sydney Theatre Award for Best Actor. Uh, really remarkable person. Photograph 51 is another one really close to my heart. Uh, Anna, Anna Ziegler wrote it. And um, uh, Dr. Dr. Rosalind Russell was was a scientist in the 1950s, and essentially her work led to um, the identification of the double helix, and the double helix being um, really the, the kind of building block of human life. Uh, however, her male colleagues at this stage at King's College, she began in Cambridge, her male colleagues um, wanted to kind of rush to, to make the claim and publish. She said that a lot more research needed to be done. Um, so what her male colleagues did was they stole the research she'd done to date, published anyway, and ended up winning the Nobel Prize. Um, and she was kind of left out and, and lost um, to much of history. And this play is her life story, which is, is a wonderful kind of um, examination of... of Scientific themes, of course, uh, but also, you know, uh, fe- you know, 
feminism and, and the way, you know, women, the disparity in the way women were treated um, compared with men at that time in the academic world obviously still happens. Um, it's heartbreaking in so many ways, but I do love that this play has now put um, her name, uh, Dr. Russell's name, on, on the kind of world stage. Yeah. There's so much more to talk about in the 2019 MTC season, but sadly we've run out of time. We can't cover everything. I'll just quickly note that our, uh, the season opens with the wonderful Miriam Margulies, who is just a force of nature, uh, and uh, and it closes with a production that I think many people will be looking forward to, uh, the musical version of Kiss of the Spider Woman. Yeah, that's right, starring Caroline O'Connor, which will be incredible. Um, and look, one small correction, um, Rosalind Russell was a, was a Hollywood movie star. Rosalind Franklin, um, Dr Rosalind Franklin, was the, was the scientist. Um, but yeah, kicking, kicking off a lady in the van with um, Miriam, closing with Kiss of the Spider Woman with Caroline O'Connor. Um, so, yeah, a fantastic kind of bookend to what I hope will be an exciting year of theatre from MTC for all of Melbourne. Subscription packages for MTC's 2019 season are on sale now. And jump online, www.mtc.com.au. Brett Shee, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Richard. Artist... Uh, Patricia Piccinini, it's a pleasure to have you back in the studio. It's lovely to be here. Now, your work uh, has drawn international attention and acclaim. In fact, I think you were the most viewed artist internationally uh, in, just in a recent year or so. 2016, yeah. yeah. So well, this kind of magnificent, macabre, glorious fusion of, of kind of science and biology and humanity and uh, strange cross-species uh, evocations conjured up through kind of these kind of hyper-real sculptures. So if people have seen your work, they're instantly, I'm sure, kind of uh, already reimagining and picturing the work that they've seen. But you've got work being depicted in a major new exhibition out at the Tarawara Museum of Art, kind of in conjunction with work by the uh, Australian artist Joy Hester, who was part of the Angry Penguins movement. And I believe you've kind of, you have long had a fascination with Hester and her work and indeed have been influenced by her work. That's right. I discovered her when I was still studying economics in another life. <laughs> and in fact, it was probably... Um, knowing her work and being inspired by her work, that almost gave me the courage to leave that world and to follow my heart and go into art school. Um, and I remember going to the um, interview for um, VCA with a whole bunch of Hester-inspired images, very derivative of her work. Um, and so I, I owe a lot to her. <laughs> Literally, I owe a lot to her. Now, one of the things that fascinates me about Hester's work is, I mean, she was... She, she could sit down on, the, on the, the floor out at Heidi in front of the fireplace and produce 20 or 30 works kind of just flowing out across the paper from her mind using kind of drawing and ink and so forth. Mm. But for many years I get the impression that her work was somehow rated less important or less significant or less potent than that of her male peers and colleagues. Mm. To what degree do you think kind of sexism overshadowed kind of the, the creative power of Joy Hester? Oh, um, look, in her lifetime, she only had three exhibitions. No museum acquired her work. Every single exhibition was panned. 
um, she had, yeah, no recognition at all. And I think that, um, yeah, that's probably a reflection of the times. She was the only woman in that group. Um, well, there were other women, but n- not even they were given any um, position. She had some position because she was connected to Tucker. But, yeah, look, it's, um, yeah, very, very patriarchal, very conservative, very, very, um, what was the art world? Yeah, it was how, sexist. How much has the art world changed? Um, oh, I think it's changed a great deal. It, 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 it has to have because I'm, I can uh, exist in it. Um, so, and I'm a woman and the ideas that I'm interested in are very female-oriented. So I think it has changed a lot. Yeah. Now, the exhibition uh, out at Tarawara, curated by Victoria Lynn, so placing your works what, almost in conversation with mm. Joy Hester's works, uh, mm. which for some people they might be scratching their heads a little, saying you've got these kind of powerful uh, sculptural pieces, three-dimensional pieces, uh, and then these kind of more gentle works on paper, for mm. example. What, how do you see that conversation playing out in the space at Tarawara? Well... Um, Joy died five years before I was born in 1960. Um, and so there's quite a lot of time between us. But uh, we are interested in the same ideas. But we um, depict them in different ways. And that's what's interesting about the show, that through throughout time, different times and different um, groups of people, um, there's still this very strong interest in uh, talking about our relationship uh, to love and, and, and the bonds we make with um, the important people in our lives and what that feels like. And when, when I re- was originally drawn to her work, it was because she didn't uh, depict the love object, which is what happens a lot in art. You know, here is this beautiful thing that we're all meant to admire and and look upon. She didn't do that, and she didn't even um, depict uh, love, what love looks like. She actually tried to talk about what it feels like to be in love. And sometimes these pictures are pretty. They're not. They're they're monstrous. You know, the two faces blend into each other. They, 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 a tangle of, of, of of features. Some missing eyes. I mean, they're not pretty, and and that's okay because that's sometimes what it feels like when when you are vulnerable, when you do let someone in, when you are blending with someone. Um, It's not all. Roses. It's 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 very complex. And that kind of blurring of boundaries between individuals that kind of love can feel like that 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 is then clearly uh, expressed in some of your work, uh, in which the you're blurring the boundaries between human and animal, for example. But yeah. you're still kind of uh, recognizing kind of the the potent and powerful connections. So your work, I think, uh, probably the first work of yours I saw the the young family. Mm which is uh, in the exhibition out at Tarawara. Kind of, it's a, um, uh, a semi-human creature kind of 
suckling its young. There's something monstrous about it, but you look beyond the monster to to the intimacy, to the, the sense of connection between parent and child, the compassion and care in the creature's eyes. It's very clear. And that's exactly where we come together. I also present kind of monstrous uh, situations, but they're situations that we can actually empathise with because we can see that these uh, these creatures, they're, they're, they're nurturing or they're, they're bonded, they have this uh, connection that's, that's very beautiful and admirable and something that I aspire to, ha- to have. Um, so I also have that duality. Um, that, and that's why, that's why I take this from her practice. That, that's, that's why I'm influenced by her work. Yeah. Now, there's. Uh, am I right in thinking there's a, a major new work in the exhibition that people will not have seen before? Yes, I made it for the show. So Victoria, um, very Victoria Lynn, who's the curator and director there, she very sort of um, sagely saw this um, connection that we have. I, I think some people overlook this aspect of my work because it's so geared around. Um, more ethical concerns around, you know, what is natural, what is artificial, how we relate to other species and so on, all of these very important ideas. Um, but she saw beyond that to this more kind of intimate level of the work that not everyone gets to. Um, and I thought, great, this is going to be a chance for me to make a work, especially for this show. And it's called Sanctuary. And it it's about two... Um, chimeras, which are part human, part bonobo, um, and they're also aged. So it's it's talking about um, how intimacy and sexuality um, can be in in old old age. Um, and I guess this work is also is also has a kind of duality to it in that you know you you're drawn to it because it's such a beautiful, sensual, intimate. Um, portrayal and at the same time we're kind of pushed away because chimeras are not natural that even half humans half bonobos are not normal um they're really old and uh, and just in general people are pushed away by by the fear of mortality which age brings with it um so it's got this this sort of push-pull thing like all of my work and hopefully within this dynamic um there's a space for the viewer to sort of um feel something feel something for themselves whatever that might be now as part of the, the, the kind of the opening of the exhibition out at Tarawara Museum of Art, which if people have not been there before, uh, it's located out on the Hillsville Yarra Glen Road, just about five, ten minutes outside of Hillsville itself in the Yarra Valley. And you can get more information at www.twma.com.au. But as part of to kind of to promote and publicise and celebrate the mm. opening of the exhibition, Sky Whale took flight recently, yes. which was the work you created for the centenary of Canberra in yeah. 2013, mm. which attracted some criticism and opprobrium and <laughs> I imagine some fairly hurtful kind of public debate. Yeah. So what was it like to see Sky Whale take to the air again? It was wonderful. And in fact, I was um, privileged enough to follow her around in the air over the Yarra Valley. Um, it was an amazing experience um, to be with her again. Um, I mean, this is her natural habitat. Uh, so it's nice to see her out of the bag 
and in the air. And, yeah, it was a very joyful experience because, you know, she's a very beautiful maternal figure. You know, she, she, it's all about fecundity and, and nurturing and, and care. I'd love to live in a world where creatures like Sky Whale were truly floating through the skies above us, I have to say. Well, we might have lived in that world, and that's the point of the Sky Whale, is that um, whales evolved from donkeys with hoofs and they went into the sea and adapted to live in this incredibly difficult environment for them. But they might might have easily have evolved to live in the air. It would be just as difficult. So nature isn't here for us, and we're just lucky to witness it. The exhibition Patricia Piccinini and Joy Hester Through Love uh, is on now until the 11th of March uh, 2019 at Tarawara Museum of Art. Uh, jump online for more information, www.twma.com.au. And as, as I said, Tarawara Museum of Art out in the, uh, the Yarra Valley uh, at, on at, uh, 313 Healesville, Yarra Glen Road, just outside of Healesville. Make a day of it, drive up, go to a cellar door, sample some local wine, try some local produce and enjoy the artistic conversation between the work of my guest Patricia Piccinini and the late Joy Hester. Patricia, thank you so much for coming onto the program. It's been great. the conversation around visual art obsession devil in the detail is an exhibition showing at the mornington peninsula regional gallery and i'll give all the exhibition dates and details and kind of website uh etc later but one forward welcome to triple r great to be on so i guess there's a bit of a cliche around artists that artists are all obsessive types <laughs> and kind of will be stuck in their studio until all hours stressing over a particular detail in a painting. Um, kind of, are artists obsessive types? Are you? I am definitely obsessive. Um, and many of my colleagues I would consider to be quite obsessive as well. Uh, whether that's some kind of pathology and something to worry about is up for debate. Um, not all artists... I mean, it's, it's hard to encompass all visual arts into uh, this kind of pathology and I think we obsess about different things. Uh, some people can obsess about nuances that you can barely tell. Um, now, uh, with me, it's it's definitely an obsession with uh, with detail and basically bringing a coherent vision forward. Uh, with others, it can be well. What I love about this show is that there's many media involved, uh, where obsession is the I guess the glue that's tying it all together, and and detail is part of the glue that's holding this exhibition mm. together, as well as the 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 subtitle "Devil in the Detail" mm. would suggest. These are kind of uh, an array of works featuring kind of meticulous attention to detail. Mm. So, talk to us about your own work. What uh, that's in the exhibition? Um, the the work I've got in the exhibition is a recent work uh, that I premiered uh, at uh, Sydney Contemporary. Uh, in September, uh, it's uh, it's hard to describe works um, on radio because they're visual. Uh, but I'll do my best. It's uh, imagine a a figure that is entirely wrapped in reflective red tape, um, and then 
put out in the sun and uh, and uh, basically portrayed uh, with meticulous attention to detail in oil paint. So uh, is that the work Mesmerizer? It is Mesmerizer. If people want to see it, they can jump onto your website, wanford.com, and just click on works and then on 2018 paintings and you can see the work. Why mm. do you kind of like to work with this almost photorealist attention to detail in your painting? Uh, it goes right back to when I began making art. Um, I have, uh, well, like many artists, uh, I don't come, didn't come purely to art, but came through it through another another um, uh, discipline. I actually studied engineering in a previous life. I never made it all the way through, but I do have this technical mind that can just keep focusing and focusing and focusing, down, 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 and. Um, I guess I had to find a creative outlet for that. Mm. Mm. Now, this work, kind of mem- mesmerizer, kind of all the, the some of the the recent works you've been doing uh, have kind of there's, there's all been a lot of figurative kind of aspects to mm. them, and sometimes an, uh, quite a satirical element to them as well. Yes. Uh, <laughs> kind of commenting on war, for example, and terrorism mm. by having somebody clutching a gun that's clearly made of sticks, and they've yeah. got kind of like green paint oozing down their body, for example. Yes. Um, uh, in other works, uh, kind of. Uh, uh, more recent works, uh, you've got kind of one work which is commenting on uh, kind of a, an earlier style of representation in painting and orient- orientalism, yes. for example, and then other works kind of like bodies kind of made of or partially covered by twigs and mm. leaves and so mm, forth as well. Mm, mm. What's going on here? Oh, each of those is about different things, of course. Um in many ways, I like to incorporate uh, absurdity because uh, I think maybe that's tied in with detail because the closer you look at something and the, the further in you get, the more absurd it becomes. Um, you know, it. I think you can take anything, uh, you might take any sentence that one might say and then break apart the words and break those down and then basically they turn into grunts and sounds. And, uh, and, and what is that, you know? Um, with each of these works, um, yeah, one of those was for Bendigo Art Gallery for their 100th anniversary, 150th, sorry, anniversary, uh, and that was a response to an Orientalist work that was uh, I was asked to respond to. Uh, the only way I could respond to it uh, in a way that was uh, um, coherent to uh, to the present day uh, was to take this satirical angle uh, or... And, and comment on the, mm, the there were so many wrong things about that work, you know, being an Orientalist work. Um, the uh, um, I guess the the other one you, you alluded to with the with the with the sticks I, I, and the gun, I was uh, you know um, commenting on the the absurdity of conflict and and also also commenting on on how when you create you're at you've got this constant inner conflict uh, going on. It, you, you, are, you are fighting with a medium. Uh, that's quite important there. So a lot of it does tie back to the process of creation. And, uh, and the third one that you, you spoke of, uh, yeah, they're, they're combinations. Uh, it's work that I've been doing for a while where I'm combining um, aspects of the Australian art canon um, be they figuration, landscape or botanical illustrations so these three sort of quite staid um, forms of representation and then mashing them together to create new possibilities and uh, at the moment they're, 
the uh, the figures winning out uh, amongst those, but there, there's still elements of botany and so forth in there. Yeah. Mm. Talk to us about your process of creation when you're mm. painting one of these incredibly finely detailed works mm. that are so photorealist that people have mistaken them for photos, yeah, as far as a, I might. It, it can be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> if you, I, I had a show in 2013 at, um, at um, Art Basel, Hong Kong, and uh, at first people were just going past, you know, thinking they were photographs and I was like, oh, damn. Um, Which begs the question, why not just make photographs? Uh, because because uh, these, um, they're not just photographs. They, 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 they go beyond the photo. They, uh, you're, I'm taking something that is, is, is ugly and crude and then, and then recreating it in a loving uh, way in a, in a way that injects it with something else. Uh, there's lots of little changes that go on through that, and uh, and you're creating a, a unique object. Um, if, you, if, you, if you get up and study them, you realise that you can't just make this with a with a photograph. There's there's so much uh, that's that's beyond that in the photo. Now they do use a photographic reference quite often. Um, so in the process. I will, for example, in these latest ones, uh, grab a mannequin um, from wherever and, uh, for example, one that was just acquired by the National Gallery of Victoria just recently, um, I covered it, I spent a week uh, gluing leaves to it, you know, and covering it in eucalyptus leaves and uh, made this, this figure that was half botany, half human, half landscape, you know, well, that's, that's three halves, that doesn't work, but, um, you know, creating this amalgam and... And then, you know, once that was done, I, I you know, had to uh, bring it into some kind of uh, setting that was evocative. And in this case, I, 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 uh, I chose a stairwell in my studio that was, had just the right light, um, photographed that, printed that off in a large scale, and then began the process of, pre- of painting it. And then, of course, I, while I do that, I like to have the figure there as well uh, to refer to it. And, Having those two things gives it an extra sense of realism and, and otherworldliness, sort of unrealism that goes with it that is uncanny and, and that's really important to it. The, the uncanny and also mm. the, I guess, the, the notion of ambiguity as well. Kind of, oh. kind of you want people to, to question what they're looking at both through the medium yes. but also then to question kind of the, the ideas that the painting is exploring as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really believe that you've got to... Um, you don't want to be one of those... Uh, ha- have made one of those artworks where people stop for two seconds and keep going. You want to draw them in. So a hook is really important. So that can be uh, that can be provided in the form of... Uh, extreme detail. It can be provided in the form of of uh, of a strange ambiguity, of a mystery. It can be provided in anything. Once you've got somebody there, that's when the work begins to unfold. And uh, yeah. If you've just tuned in, I'm speaking with artist Juan Ford, uh, whose work is represented in the exhibition Obsession, Devil in the Detail, opening tomorrow at the Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery. There's a range of other artists mm. in the in the, the exhibition, obviously. Um, have you had a chance to go down and see uh, 
the work installed, see the other works that are there? Not as yet, no. Okay. I, I certainly know the artworks involved. Uh, well, the artists involved, not the... Yeah, well, I mean, so Ricky Swallow's uh, kind of uh, hand-carved oh. table-killing time is there, which, uh, from memory, I, it's been a while since I looked at this particular work, but uh, it's the one kind of like that references his upbringing and, uh, yes. and fishing down at San Remo and so all those hand-carved different types of fish and crabs and eels on kind of on, on the... which I, Yeah, I first saw it at... Uh, Gertrude Contemporary when yes, it was still I, at 200 Gertrude Street. I, I, I saw it there as well many moons ago. It, yeah. It's an extraordinary work that is carved down from almost like a block of wood. You yeah. know, it's wild. Uh, there's yeah. also a work in there uh, by Sam Jinx. Kind mm. of, uh, it would kind of uh, I almost mentioned Sam's work when I was talking to P- uh, Patricia Piccinini oh, earlier yeah. because there's a you can there's kind of th- that notion of hyper realist sculpture and mm. and uh, kind of taps in there. So there's a range of other works. So there any of the other artists you want to kind of shout out to who? Are oh, look, uh, Chris Bond, uh, who was um, he? He's uh, you know, I've long been a fan of his work, and uh, uh, he has a, definitely has a, 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 an attention to detail. But he he creates these obsessive other worlds uh, that are really um, um, very very intriguing and and, and false narratives. Um, you know, he's the master of fake news and art in a way. It's <laughs> it's he's he's an intriguing artist. Uh, uh, who else? Ex de Medici is yeah. in there as well. And Amazing. Their yeah. work is astonishing. Oh, and uh, and you know we can't go past um, you know one of the great stars of the show, who who uh, Audrey Flack, you know the American photorealist. You know she was doing this as a pioneer um, in the '60s with the likes of Richard Estes and uh, and and uh, as a you know direct challenge to uh, to Clement Greenberg and uh, and his theories about art. Um, you know, she's uh, inspired. She's of a group of uh, artists that has inspired uh, quite a lot of uh, this uh, um, this way of thinking about art. That is about process as well as about um, uh, representation. Everything else, anyway. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, one hundred two point seven FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.